How many of you watched some of the programs we did over the last few weeks, live stream, about new creatures in Christ, the new creation? Okay, so I don't want to repeat and go over it again, but um, I just want to talk about the fact that the Bible, and I want you to all pray for me, because it's been prophesied many times, and then just recently people started really pushing it and prophesying, and um, you know, saying that I need to write a book and need to write a book. Well, I'm about... 20-something, 30-something pages into the book. And uh, so we've started, and I want to call it something like the Gloriously Victorious Church. And uh, I've been doing a lot of study, and it's from years and years. And so I've written the preface, I've written the introduction, and I'm starting on chapter one. So I think, just pray for me, you know, because it's hard work, it's a lot of study, and it really is an incredible amount of study. I sit for hours and hours and hours. I get up early in the morning. I sit late at night, and I'm studying. Okay, but I want to just remind you that there were three heavens and earths, three worlds that the Bible talks about, right? Yeah. And that's why, and you find that in Second Peter 3, but you will find out that each world is a heaven and an earth, and uh, it's a world, so it has people in it. And so the first world was up until... Noah, and the second world, starting from Noah, but more importantly, Moses. And then the third world began with the coming of Christ, and particularly his death and his resurrection. So he was crucified once for all at the end of the age, which was the second world. His body laid down was then the foundation of that new world, new heaven, new earth. And that's where a lot of the end-time preachers get it wrong, because then they take the new heaven, the new earth, Second Peter 3 says, the home of the righteous, and they push it into heaven one day when you die. And if you've been really good, and you didn't misbehave once and miss the rapture, then you would go to heaven. But it's not that at all. And so in keeping with that, Paul talks about the fact in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it tells us that where Paul says, you are new creatures. Now, it's very interesting that he uses the word creatures because, you know, he's referring to the first creation where God created the world, man, and everything in it, okay? Now he's talking about there's a new creation, a new created order. And so this verse is such a powerful verse, and it bears us taking a bit of time with it. Is that okay? So this morning we're going to just talk about it. So let's all read it together. Therefore, if any man... Now, I want you to notice the Scripture excludes women. But I'm just teasing. Therefore, any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a what? A new creature. So say it. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, we become new creatures. And then he says this, all things are passed away. Behold. See, so I want you to have a good look. Behold, all things, all things are become new. All right. So I want you to say Everything with my old life is passed away. I behold now, in Christ, all things have become new. Because I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so it's powerful. So we need to just look at and understand that and just look at the reality of that verse. What does that verse actually mean? What are some of the things that have changed from the old to the new? I'm so glad that a lot of the old stuff, or all the old stuff, has gone. There's a lot of old stuff that we don't even want to remember. Is that right? But that all things have become new. And you know, the Scripture is amazing. The Bible is really incredible because what the Bible shows us is in reality, 
in truth who we are in Christ. Is that okay? So what is that? So the Bible talks about the reality of us being in Christ. In other words, in other words, I'm just saying this right at the start of the teaching. In other words, anything in me that is not Christ is actually belongs to the old, and I am not living up to or in the truth of what the Word says about me. And so we need to then, and I preached a message about it years ago, and I'm just putting it again. The whole thing with all of this is the standing or falling of the truth of that scripture boils down to one verse in the Bible, one thing that we need to do, and that is to renew our minds according to what the Word says about us. Is that okay? Because very much, if my life doesn't match up to this, it's because there's something wrong in my mind as far as it being still potentially unrenewed. So I need to start renewing my mind and renewing my thoughts to understand what the Scripture. So this morning, I'm going to say things that I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to quantify it. I'm not going to try and explain it. I'm going to just say it as the Word says it. Is that okay? And then we need to renew our mind to those things because anything we discover in ourselves that is sub or below what the Word says, we need to renew. So let's just say we need to renew to the new. Okay. So let's have a look at it. So if we are new creatures in Christ, if we are born again, and when we became born again, what it means that there will be then new creation realities. Everybody say it, new creation realities. So then as a new created person, as a new creature in Christ, there's realities that should be true about me and that should be evident to everybody else. Is that okay? So let's just, we'll start and having a look at them. But the Greek word for new, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new. The Greek word is kainos. And kainos means simply this, New in every respect. I like what the Good News translation says, Good News Bible. It says, anyone who's joined to Christ is a new being. Isn't that good? I mean, you're a new being. Isn't that awesome? And so we're new in every respect. The word means, kainos means recently made, fresh, unused, unheard of, or unknown before this time. I mean, isn't that powerful what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, you're a fresh revelation of God. When you got born again, you were unknown, unheard of before this time. Isn't that amazing? So when the Holy Spirit came on Jesus, this is what John said about him. Though they were cousins, though they were close, though they lived near each other, though they were, you know, more or less, they, they were buddies. They were cousins, but buddies. John stands up and looks and says, I, I, but I didn't know him. In other words, he didn't know the anointed Christ. He didn't know this person upon whom the Spirit came. And so, yes, your family knew you. They've been around you. But when you got born again, it's like they didn't know you before. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? Freshly made, all new, unused, a new creature in Christ Jesus. So it means also that the old or former self, you, who were corrupt, hostile, stubborn, rebellious to God, that's all gone forever, having been crucified with Jesus Christ. So listen to what Paul says, and then we're going to go on. He says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified. Just in case you're not sure, crucifixion means dead. Is that okay? Totally dead. Your old man is crucified, dead with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
So in reality, the old John, that life was destroyed by the crucifixion. And then the resurrection came. Is that okay? I love um, Bobby Lejeur. He was just telling us a little bit once we were sitting around the table, and he was telling us a little bit about his family. Now, Bobby Lejeur came from, <laughs> I mean, you know, him getting born again was quite a miracle because his background, oh, my word. You know, his mother was a prostitute. She was also a chief witch. And, uh, yeah, and um, his father was a drunk and all this kind of thing. I think he threatened to kill his dad when he was young already, just a boy. But at 13 years of age, his mother brought home a client, and after sleeping with the mother, the client then wanted to sleep with his little sister. So he then, 13 years of age, pulls out the gun, puts it against the client's head and says, you touch my sister, I'll kill you. What my mom does is up to her. 13, eh? But just after that, he's collecting debts, you know, for drug dealers. At like 14, he's collecting. So, you know, people don't pay the drug dealer, so they hire Bobby, 14 years of age. He's the kind of guy you didn't really want to know, even maybe at six years of age. You know, he's the kind of guy you didn't want to know. And the incredible thing about him is his testimony says this. When he got born again, he only went to church because his wife said, if you, you know, basically it's the end if you don't get saved, that kind of thing. So she, he said, just to shut up, man, I just went to church. He says, and then the guy is preaching, the pastor is preaching, and these people are falling, and he's thinking, ah, he's pushing them over, pushing them over. But the next thing, he's standing at the front under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he says to the pastor, because the pastor comes up to lay hands on him, he's such a wild man, he killed, I don't know how many, as a sniper in, in the desert storm. And he says, you touch me, and you're dead. You don't push me to the ground. So the pastor says, no problem. And then six of his elders get around. So he looks and he goes, okay, I'll hit this one. They hit this one. They hit this one. I'll take them all down. So he says, you better tell your cronies not to come near me. So he tells the elders to go. So the pastor says, well, okay, I'll pray for you, but I'll put my hands behind my back. And uh, so he puts his hands behind his back and he prays for Bobby Lejeune. doesn't touch him. Bobby Lejeune hits the ground bah, under the power of God. He says, he comes straight back up onto his feet. He says, and when he comes up onto his feet, out of the corner of his eye, he can see the old Bobby Lejeune laying out on the carpet, dead in Christ. Stood up a new creature. In that moment that he hit the floor and stood up, God said to him, you're going to preach the gospel. So on the way home, he says to his wife, is there a Bible bookshop somewhere, a Bible store somewhere? I need to get a Bible. She says, yeah, we can go get one. She says, you better ring that pastor of you and tell him I'm preaching next Sunday. So, so how many of that's a new creature in Christ? Yeah. Amen. So that same thing happened to you in Christ when you became born again. Amen. What a transformation. So in John 8, 32, Jesus says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So that's one of the reasons why I want to preach the new creation realities this morning. First thing, first reality, and I'm not going to take too long. I want to just Push through it because some of these things that you know, but it's good for by way of reminder. The first thing that you have is eternal life. So instead of eternal death, you have moved into eternal life. And the incredible thing about it is, let's just go through. You were spiritually dead in Adam. You were alienated from God, separated from the covenants. You know, without God, without hope in the world, the Bible says... But when you got born again, you got born again to the God kind of life. And then the Greek word for the God kind of life is Zoe life, Z-O-E. 
and it's a quality of life. Jesus said, he who believes in the Son, John 3.36, has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So in every unbeliever is under the wrath of God. And the sentence is being played out until one day they die because there will be a judgment and they are determined their eternal home, wherever they are. Life without God, which is death, and there's life with God, which is life. Is that okay? And life evermore, and it's eternal life. And so they remain under the wrath of God. And, you know, when you get born again and accept Jesus, you come out of wrath, you come out of condemnation with the sentence of damnation on you, which is, is eternity and hell. And suddenly you receive life and life forevermore. Now, there's just two things about that life that I want to mention and then just carry on. And that life is as a result of a relationship. It's becoming part of the family of God. So you move from sinner to son. And so it's in the realm of sonship whereby we know the Father. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. But what did he prefix that with? He said, in my Father's house. Leave out house. In my Father, there's place for many. Is that okay? And I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where? In my Father. That where I am. Where was Jesus? He stood in the position of a son that you may be as I am. So I am a son of God. Is that right? Come on, let's just say it. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. And so it's in that relationship with God. So the thing that I wanted to stress this morning is that eternal life, and this is the way we understood it for so many years, growing up until God raised up a man like Prophet Krubus van Rensburg. For many years, we understood eternal life was heaven when you die, or if you made the rapture. You know, if you weren't in a movie house when he came. You know, watching 20,000 leagues under the sea, something like that. And so eternal life was a venue, was a destination, was a place. And then, you know, Prophet Quirbus comes along and he says, no, Jesus didn't say anything about heaven. I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Where does it say heaven in any of that? And he challenges and we had to go back and look at the scriptures and see that it's a quality of life that is in relationship with God, which means right here, right now, on earth, I am in heaven, in that sense, because I have life and life more abundantly. So no longer do you scare people, you know, into heaven by saying, you know, if you would die today, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? And you stood before God, you know, give him three good reasons why you should be allowed into heaven, you know, and then it's like, no, wrong, 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 angels, chuck him into hell. And what he started doing in his articles was inviting people who wants life. Well, everybody wants life. Amen. Life more abundantly. And that eternal life, a new creation reality is that right here, right now, we have the very Zoe life of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul tells us in Romans that we shall reign in this life through one Christ Jesus. Now, I see that as a double interpretation, that we will reign in this life, in this world that we live in by one Christ Jesus, but also that we will reign in this life that we're living of God's by Christ Jesus. So by means of the life that is in me, I will rule and reign in this world. Is that okay? So the first reality, the first new creation reality that's true of every single one of us sitting here this morning is that you have life and life more abundantly called eternal life 
or life everlasting. Is that good? Second new creation reality that I think is so brilliant is this, is that you, in the old days, in the early days, we were told these stories, you know, because, for example, somebody would go to the past and say, how is it that there's this struggle inside of me? And then the pastor would tell a story about, for example, by this Indian shaman, this Indian wise man, an Indian witch doctor. If they have any wisdom, they didn't get it. But anyway, and it's like inside of you there's two wolves. One is a white wolf, and it's the good wolf. One is a black wolf, and it's a bad wolf. And the one that wins is the one that you feed. And we all went, woo, so let's feed the good wolf. (laughs) And... uh, but that's not biblical because we don't have two natures inside of us. The Bible makes it quite plain. You were an old creation. Now you're a new creation. You were not a child of God. Now you are a child of God. And there's many, many verses. I remember sharing this with an American pastor once at Spirit Word. And I said, you know, we were just talking about this one nature. And I said, we only have one nature. And that's the divine nature. And he said, do you preach that in your church? I said, yes. He said, yeah, you couldn't preach that in America. They'd crucify you. So that's why I'm in Africa. Because <laughs> us Africans are holy. <laughs> so he laughed. But we only have one nature. Right. When you got born again, yep. you were born again new. Yep. Freshly made, brand new. So let me just go back to Bobby Lejeune. So now he's telling us the story about this extremely dysfunctional family. So now he's trying to witness them. He leads his dad to the Lord, basically on his dad's deathbed, he leads him to the Lord. And um, he's witnessing to his sister, but she's off on another track. So he's witnessing to her one day, and she says, yeah, but I'm lesbian, and I was born that way. He says, that's cool, because when you accept Jesus, you'll be born again into the kingdom, and then you won't be lesbian. Because you'll be born again. You will leave all that stuff behind. And so you'll have a nature, one nature. Everybody say one nature. So I like what, um, and you can read that in 2 Peter 1, verses 1 to verse 4, where he talks about God's great and precious promises, and because of our knowledge of them, we will then participate in the divine nature. And so we participate in God's nature, in God's divine nature. Now that's a little bit of what it means to have eternal Zoe life. And so John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, No one born of God commits sin. God's nature abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, let me just throw this in here because somebody, some very clever ACF member sitting thinking, "Mm, but I still sin every now and then, occasionally, once a year maybe. Maybe once every two years. Maybe you're thinking, but I still sin. You know, yep. The big thing that John is talking about, there's a difference between sin and sins. Sin is the tree. Sins is the fruit on the tree. And so he says he doesn't continue to sin. In other words, the tree has been cut down. And there might still be, Paul talks about it in Galatians 5, as works of the flesh, but the tree has changed. Is that okay? How many of you have noticed since you got born again is the fruit of the old life is getting less and less? Now, the more we renew our mind and the more we dwell on the truth, the quicker that fruit will die. 
because the fig tree of self-righteousness, the fig tree of our old lives, was cursed from the root, and it's dying. And so we are in the process of putting on true righteousness and holiness. Is that okay? So John says, he says, in other words, you're not going to continue to sin because you've been changed. Your nature essentially has changed, and you only have one nature. Good. Amen. And so um, Ephesians 4.24, Paul tells us, he says, you know, you were not taught to live the way the world lives. I'm putting a little bit of my words. He says, but you were taught to put on the new self created in Christ Jesus in true likeness and true holiness. And so that's what we're putting on, and it's replacing the old life. Paul tells us in Romans 6.18, and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. And then he says, now offer your members as instruments of righteousness. Everybody say, I have one nature. It's holy, and it's a divine nature. Third thing, you are indwelled by the Spirit of Christ. And I'm not going to dwell on this for, this for time's sake. We all know. We all know. You're ACF people. You're well taught. We all know that the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. The very Holy Spirit of Christ is inside of us. I mean, that's what a miracle that is. And He is called the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just say it again because I hear it all over. It's become very popular in Christian terminology to say, Holy Spirit told me. It's incorrect. It's not biblical to refer to the Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, is, it's very important, the, the. Because it's very specific in identifying, because there's other Holy Spirits. You are a Holy Spirit. An angel is a Holy Spirit. So we need to define the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And um, just another thing as well, you know, they say, Father told me. I think that we need to prefix it biblically and say, my heavenly Father told me, or our Father. I mean, even Jesus didn't walk around and said, Father told me. He said, our Father, or my Father, or the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's important for us to make those distinctions, to be biblical. Is that okay? And uh, so I just want to, just say that again. He is the Holy Spirit. And of course, if He's inside of us, I mean, what does that make you? Number one, it makes you holy. But if it's the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, what else does that make you? It makes you unlimited. That's right. I mean, if it is the Holy Spirit of God, that also makes you creative. If it is the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. Come on, these are New Testament, new creation realities. And so if it's Him that's living you, if it's the Holy Spirit of God, then you are powerful. If it's the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, then you are unique and distinctive. And I mean, we could carry on and on and on. But let's just leave that one and go on. The next new creation reality is that, and this is really, really important because this is where it stands or falls. This is where the rubber hits the tarmac. This is where I think that we need to understand and know this truth. But when a new creation reality is, if we are new creatures in Christ, He has given you the potential of another mind. And as a new creature in Christ, you possess the mind of Christ. Now, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the potential of having the mind of Christ. Is it not 
It's not coincidence. It's not kind of like by the way that most of the things in this world that are good came via Christians. It's not a by the way that many of the inventions that have blessed the world came via Christians. Because they tapped into something of the mind of Christ that is unlimited, that is creative, that is of the genius of God, that is of wisdom and knowledge, that just, they just tapped into things of God. And I believe that more and more we see revival, and as the world goes and the kingdom of God increases, there's going to be more discoveries, more things happening. And they're going to be coming via Christians because that's what the whole planet is groaning and in travail for is the manifesting and the revealing of the sons of God. Listen, I believe every answer to every problem in this world right now, the potential for it is in the mind of Christians. It's inside of us. Amen. Come on. You are the best place where you are right now, just like Daniel, taken as a young man, put into Babylon, taken because of his favor and his godliness, stands up and he doesn't only serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian empire, but he's there with Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. And right through in their reigns, there's this man with untapped wisdom. And so when they have dreams and at critical times, they call on Daniel. And Daniel is the one that just brings in the mind of God. Okay? And this prophet stand is probably one of the greatest and most accurate prophets in the Bible because he predicted everything right up until the coming of Christ. He gave the nation of Israel a blueprint. This is when he's coming. That's why they all knew when the Messiah was coming. They knew the temple was going to be destroyed because Daniel prophesied it. Jesus even quoted Daniel. He tapped into this unlimited knowledge of God. Come on. If we don't live in the mind of Christ, we're living below our potential. Come on, church. Is that good? There's a man I remember Pastor Helen preaching about him, a Christian man in America, born again, and I'll find his name. And he grew up poor and simple, uh, an American Negro man. But because of his love for God and his search for the Scriptures, God gave him an absolutely brilliant mind. And the things that he discovered in the peanut and brought out all these truths and all this nutrition and everything out of the peanut was nothing short of supernatural. Because he tapped into something from God. Is that okay? But the mind of Christ is, is not only that. You know, if we just look at the word, the mind of Christ, God gives us the mind of Christ. And Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 2. And um, I'm not sure which verse it is. It's right down near the end, 16 or something like that. But he says, but we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, God gives us so that it's a mind that can receive revelation from the Spirit. The Spirit goes in, searches the mind of God concerning you, concerning what He's done for us in Christ, and He's able then to inform our minds. That's why Paul says your mind has got a spirit, because it can communicate spiritually. It can get revelation. Is that okay? It's got an interface where it can interface with spiritual things from a natural standpoint, as a natural brain. And it can receive revelation And then it can, because it's now the spirit of the mind, it can now inform your spirit. So the mind of Christ makes you able 
to know all things. So John says it in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20 and verse 27. He says, you have an anointing. This anointing teaches you to abide. This anointing teaches you all things. This anointing teaches you about Christ. So he's anointed you with a mind that has a spiritual component that can hear from the Spirit who's hearing from God that can start getting revelation of who you are in Christ. And then you can stand up in that truth. This is a really good sermon. I have never preached this before. Is that okay? And so we need to understand that we have the mind. So everything that Jesus did for us, that God did in making us new creatures in Christ, he then said, but, oh, shucks, I did it, but (laughs) unfortunately, you're never going to be able to live up to it. He didn't do that. He says, I've given you the mind that can apprehend and take all of this. And it can be renewed. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and you can be transformed, not conformed to the world, but transformed by this renewed mind because it's the mind of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. And so the fifth thing is this. Listen to what the fifth thing is. The fifth reality is this. I was um, so proud of Saki, a friend of our Saki Stradum, it was a few weeks ago, he phoned me, and he said, how are you? And I said, no, I'm fine, how are you? It was like about six or six in the evening, and he says, no, I'm fine. He says, but my factory is burnt down, it's on the ground. I said, no, now? He said, yeah, it's happening now. So I rushed over, and end of the story is the main building is burnt down. The others that he's taken, where the steel is fortunately not, but it's the whole admin block, it's the whole hardware section, it's all the guillotines and bending presses and that all completely destroyed in a fire. And um, he was extremely calm. Unfortunately, the fire people were very incompetent. They pitched up no water, <laughs> no water in the fire engine. When they came up everywhere, hoses are leaking, water spraying out of everywhere. And the majority of the time, they're on their cell phones. Yeah, so it was mostly, you know, bystanders who got stuck in and pulled doors off and started started spraying. And uh, so that was a debacle. But anyways, bless them. And uh, so the building burnt down. But he was extremely calm. And uh, he said to me, uh, we stood one side, the fire was blazing, smoke was going up. And... uh, He said, I never, ever spoke it out, but this was my greatest fear, always. Mm. He says, but you know what? I said, look, is everything backed up? Is this done? Is this done? He said, you know, you wonder why things happen sometimes. He said recently, and he he reminded me, he said, just recently, do you remember that thieves broke in and um, the alarm went off? And it was one very brave policeman who was diligent in his work, shot out there and they had broken in earlier, just after they estimate, just after they had closed, and they were they had taken the computers and the tools and everything, and everything was lined up in the passageway. It was now three o'clock in the morning when they ripped the door off and they were going to load everything. But because of this diligent policeman, he got there and uh, he caught most of them. He radioed in backup and caught most of them. As a result, Saki upgraded his computer system. His accounting system, put everything on the cloud. He put in um, new, just everything. He did everything new. And he said, if it wasn't for that break-in, he said, this would have been a very different story because I would have had no invoices, no receipts, no, I wouldn't, he said, we put everything, that time we put everything into the cloud 
And he says, we can pull everything back, and we've still got a list of all our clients, what we owe, who owes us, whatever. He says, if it wasn't for that, it would be a disaster. So insurance will pay out. The owner of the building was standing there. He was very calm. He said, no, Saki, we'll rebuild. And you must see now, after a few weeks, how he's rented another unit and he's up and running because of his trust in God. And I walked into the office, and there on the new admin block, it's got airport steel, and underneath it says, I'm a beloved of God. And that's the next reality, the next new creation reality. There's a difference between God creating the physical planet and the animals, but you as a new creature, he was personally involved. Just like with Adam, God would just say, and let there be man. Oh, here's a whole bunch of them. Oh, shame they need women. Okay, let there be women. No, no, God got involved. He used his hands. He breathed his breath. He didn't just speak a word and allow the Holy Spirit to create. This time God was involved. That's why he talks about Israel as his treasured possession and us as his treasured possession. That's why he talks about us as the apple of his eye. That's why to us, Underneath are the everlasting arms. An animal doesn't have an assurance of heaven, although I'm sure that there will be animals one day, you know. And I'm convinced there's going to be trout fishing. And somehow, somehow, that river of life that we walk next to, I'm convinced, is that there's going to be a little eddy flowing like this. And when you dip your cup in, it's going to be caramel. Nice, thick, like caramel. Something like this, because that would be life. And it won't be bad for you, and it won't decay your teeth, because we'll be eternal, and all of that kind of thing. But I'm sure there's a section where there's these big trout, and they go, come on, Pastor John, you don't even need to put a hook on. Just put, make the fly, but leave the hook and the barb out. We'll bite on, and we'll hold on, and we'll fight with you, and, we come to them, and then we'll blow you a kiss, and we'll swim away, and we can say you caught us. I'm sure, you know, but all of this is there, you know, there's a, a reality that we haven't even conceived, but... When God created us, he sent his son. And just like the first physical man he formed with his hands and breathed the breath of life in, the second spiritual man, the second man, he formed by sending his son to die for us, his one and only son. And then he formed us into his image and his likeness. And when Jesus in John's um, gospel, in John chapter 20, 21 when he breathed his spirit on him and said, receive the spirit, Malachi, I think it's chapter 2, verse 15, says, when God created, he kept a residue of the spirit. So he didn't blow all of his spirit out into Adam. He kept a residue. And then when Jesus breathed on the disciples, that was the residue. Malachi says, because he wanted godly offspring. Now, it's not only biblically correct. It's not that he just wants us to raise godly children. That is also true. But he had offspring, but they became ungodly. So he was looking for godly offspring. So he breathed the breath of life in it. So God was involved. So now he says, I've taken you out of darkness into light, into the kingdom of the son of my love, my beloved son. Ephesians 1.6, he presented us to himself, holy and acceptable in the beloved So he takes us, puts us in the beloved. So now in John chapter 17, when Jesus was praying the prayer, he says this. He said, Father, show the glory. Make them one with you as you and I are one. And he says, and that you love them like you love me. 
So he loves us. And this is the revelation I got so many years ago where I, I couldn't read my Bible. I couldn't pray for months. I couldn't. Because I realized in that moment that I was reading my Bible, memorizing whole books of the Bible. I was praying 40 to 50 hours a week by the clock. That's how many hours I was praying. And I got the revelation, and those things are not bad, they're good. And I got the revelation that I was doing it because I was trying to earn God's love. And when I realized that whether I did that or didn't do that, he, he loved me. Now, if I don't do it, I'm poorer for it. If I do it, I'm richer for it. You know, praying, praying and fasting and reading the Word. But it so took away my motivation to pray because I was praying, trying to get God to say, oh, well done, John, I love you, John. And now whenever I walked in, I just knew that he loved me. He loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would. I would come around and sing, like I would try and memorize, you know, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would go through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, walk around and just, and then pray. All right. You know, Yongi Cho says it's prayer business, right? Clock go, and just pray. And then suddenly I'd walk in here, praise be to the God and Father. He loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't pray, I couldn't read. I'd go back to bed and I said, I don't know what's the matter with me. I can't read my Bible and pray. But it was because my motivation changed. Because suddenly I realized, and this is what God said to me. He said, if you became the greatest evangelist of all time, if you became Billy Graham and Raynard Bonker and, uh, and all of those others together, and you then won every single other soul that they haven't to me, he says, I couldn't love you more. Even if you became a despot and you were worse than Hitler and killed more people than Hitler, he says, I could never love you less. Yeah. Yeah. I love you the same. Yeah. The repercussions would be different, yeah. but you wouldn't change my life. And that was such a revelation for me. One of the most powerful, motivating things about the new creation reality is that he loves you. You are his beloved. He doesn't pull his face when you come into his presence. Doesn't. Doesn't get a disappointed look when you come and go, oh, Father. And he goes, oh, wish it was Bev. She's got brown eyes, but she's my blue-eyed girl. You know, doesn't go like, Jesus, I blew it. Yeah, I know. I could tell you how many times you've done that. He doesn't get disappointed. He doesn't get that look. But there's an absolute, an absolute love inside of you. If I can put it in just some crass English word, he's absolutely besotted with you. You know. I mean, he loves you. Is that okay? You're his beloved. You're his darling. And um, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, that's so powerful. Doesn't that do something for you to know that God thinks that way of you? I remember our pastors used to say this. If you ever ask God, how much do you love me? I think he'd explain it this way, my pastor used to say. If he could then appear and cause Jesus to appear, and um, he would come and stand at the front of the church here, and God would stand here, and then he'd put Jesus here, and then he would call you up because you're the one asking the question. And uh, he would get you to stand next to Jesus, and he would say, well, now, to answer your question, I love you the same as I love him. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I mean, how powerful is that? Yeah. Not less, the same. The exact same love that he has for Jesus. Yeah. He regards you 
has his only begotten, same way, even though he's got many begotten sons and daughters now. But he regards you as the only begotten. So you're the beloved. And then I'm going to just mention these next two and then stop. The seventh new creation reality is this, is that you have total authority in heaven and on earth. That becomes mind-blowing. When we start to know our authority, Andre in the praise and worship was so excited, he said, I've got to show you this testimony. Just walk past him just now and let him show you. He said, four weeks ago, he says, my dad saw this um, man on the side of the road, and you must see the side of his leg here, cancerous types of growths, massive, massive cancerous Ugly, ugly growths. And um, Andre and, and Mario said, Dad said, well, let me pray with you. Prayed with him and then was going past there four weeks later. And I had to look. <laughs> it's all gone. <laughs> four weeks. Showed me the photos this morning. What kind of authority do we have? I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock you now. Are you all ready for this? Yes. There's a book on my bookshelf called Saints Who Raised the Dead. This one that I'm going to tell you, blows my mind that I cannot even conceive of it. However, it's true by the nature of the person that told it. St. Patrick of Ireland, it's recorded that he raised someone from the dead who'd been dead 300 years. I just want that to settle because it's... I mean, all of us are thinking, but his family is all gone. The world has changed. It didn't change as fast as it's changing now. <laughs> there was a lot that was still similar and familiar. But I mean, what, what does life look like when you raise someone from the dead who's been dead 300 years? Called him out of his grave. 300 years. Let's leave that. So here's the question. What does that say about the incredible authority and power that you and I have sitting here in this room? What kind of power and what kind of authority? That we struggle with things in our personal lives that we should never struggle with. Do you understand what I'm saying? The big thing is the renewed. But what if, what if, what if these became such reality to us, such truth to us, how differently our lives would look and how differently the world around us would look? Come on, I mean, even if we just tapped into 10%, we could change things massively. So what kind of incredible power and authority? Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, he said, all authority, all, all authority. It was given to him by delegation from God the Father. And after his resurrection from the dead, and uh, he was about to ascend into heaven, God then, handed over all authority to him, even the authority one day to judge. Which authority he's delegated to the word. And he says the word, the gospel, will one day judge you. And the judgment will simply be, did you accept Christ or did you reject him? That's the judgment. But he was delegated with all authority, and he said in heaven and on earth, which would also mean over the underworld. Over Satan, all authority. He says, therefore go and make disciples. That word therefore is very loaded because the implication is this, that Jesus was now saying to the disciples, it's been given to me, all authority, now I'm giving it to you. 
Now you go and do what I was doing for these three and a half years because I'm ascending. Yeah. All authority? Yeah. All in heaven and on earth? All? It's no wonder the positive faith people came along and they discovered a great truth that us apostolis and Pentecostals were not because we were talking about the problems more than we were talking about <laughs> the solution. And they taught us, they taught us, confess a thing, prophesy a thing. Say it. And they were mostly right because, because they're talking about that we can speak from a place of understanding where what we say can be creative. And so all authority in heaven and earth. And then lastly, and then I'm going to read something from E.W. Kenyon. Lastly, the other thing is, is that suddenly we become God's residence, God's dwelling place many scriptures, suddenly God has a fixed location. And you can find God now on a GPS. You just give people your address. Okay? And they come to your house, and they found God. He's living inside of you. That God would limit himself in Christ. But yet, Paul tells us in Colossians 1, and uh, I think it's verse 27, and then Colossians 2, I think it's verse 9, he says he was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. That's all of God in Christ. And then Paul tells us in Colossians 2, 9, and he says, all of the divine nature dwelt in Christ. And then he goes on to say, they make these mind-blowing statements that you have to really meditate on. And he says, and you have been given fullness in him. What was Paul trying to say? The fullness of God is in Christ. Now that you're a new creature, the fullness of God is in you also. He says, who is the head over every power and authority. So what is that saying? That's saying he's put you as head over every power and authority. I mean, Jesus, help this head of mine. Get this truth. Amen? And so suddenly the residence of God is a fixed location once again. God is omnipresent. But now God is present. God is everywhere, but suddenly now God is Emmanuel. He's in you. Jesus. You know, these are things I meditate on. Often when I'm walking in the shopping center, I'm just saying, Lord, just let the people fall out under the power when I walk past. Just let, you know, when I walk past, let the people come running and say, when you walk past me, it looks like I'm healed. (laughs) You know, I've experienced it once or twice, but that's the kind of reality we want. That Those occasions, those testimonies messed me up. Now, I often go like, come on, you know, Holy Spirit, come on, Spirit, John Spirit, just, oof, yeah. just get full of the Holy Ghost. And when you walk, people come out, wow, ooh, what kind of a person are you? Yeah. Where demons come out, you know? So Prophet yeah. Kerbis tells the story, right? They come walking up this road like this. There's this young lady walking, you know, she's dressed up goth type, you know, long black hair, this big long black overcoat, black shirt, black denims, big black boots. And she comes walking, you know, just black, black. If you looked into the soul, black, <laughs> all the darkness. She comes walking down the road. And Prophet Kerber says, and Annalise actually was telling me the story on Prophet Kerber's behalf. And they're walking, and then he just looked up at the girl, and suddenly she fell on the ground on all fours, started snarling like a cat, and turned around and went away, running away on all fours. They were going like, what? He said, fast, fast, fast. Faster than a dog could run. This girl went, demonic manifestation. Just took one look and just, it manifested. I asked him, I said, did you cast it out of her? He said, no, she was too fast. (laughs) 
that's the kind of authority and power we have. It happened to us in Bible college. We, I didn't know at all what was going on. I just thought, these British people, you know, they're a bit crazy. And it was a guy, you know, selling a newspaper. And we were in Soho um, in London. And, uh, you know, it was like, the Daily Herald, you know, come and get it. Come read all about it. You know, like you see on TV, standing by that little box and selling the newspapers. And, th- you know, in the olden days, because you get it online now. You know, in the older days, they used to sell newspapers. But you'd have this guy selling newspaper. Come read all about it. And we, we walked past, and I just looked, and I said, hey, that's just like on TV. And when I looked, he went loony. He took a newspaper, rolled it up, and he came running after us, wanting to hit us with the newspaper. He chased us for about two blocks. We were running, like, whoa, we got the giggles. You know, we're going, like, what is this? Whoa, it's crazy British people. And we're running. We actually we ran. I mean, he, he was swearing. You've never heard swear words like it ever in your life. He was swearing at us. And we ran, and we actually ran into a McDonald's and hid in the McDonald's. And uh, he was standing outside shouting, pointing his newspaper. We were like, what did we do? We just looked. But it's who was looking. So we become God's dwelling place. In closing, let me read this. This is E.W. Kenyon, his book, New Creation Realities. By the way, I didn't steal his points. The sharing was so real that he who knew no sin became sin, the shared life that we have. In order to become identified with us, to come to our level, he not only had sin reckoned to him, sin laid upon him as the high priest laid the sin of Israel upon the goat, but he actually became sin. He died spiritually, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. In the new creation, we shared with him. He is the head, we are the body. He has imparted himself to us, and when he imparted himself to us, he gave us a new self in the place of our old self. That old fallen sin-ruled self was displaced, and the new Jesus self, the new creation self, the God-like self, the self that is made in the image of Christ, became our new self. You see how utterly he shared with us, how much he became one with us. In Colossians 3, 1, he says, If then you have shared in Messiah's resurrection, aspire ever to the things on high where Messiah is throned at the right hand of God. So let your thoughts dwell on those things above, not grovel on the earth. You have died to things of earth, and your real life is now has been hidden by its union with Messiah in the being of God. Here we catch a glimpse of our utter oneness with him, of the completeness of this union. What is more real than this? What's more real than this? I'm the vine, you are the branches. Here he shows us we are the fruit-bearing part of him. We are the love-revealing part of him. We are the part of him that blesses and touches humanity. We are the part of him that brings eternal life to lost man. We are sharing in his resurrection. This should thrill the heart of us all. Amen. New creation realities. Let's just raise our hands and just, come on, just love God, thank God. Because of all of the reality of the truth of what we've heard this morning. Maybe we need to go right to where the rubber hits the tarmac and just say, Jesus, help my mind, this brain of mine. Help me, Lord. Help me. Think the thoughts of Christ. Manifest the mind of Christ. Help me. 
not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed according to all the truths we heard this morning. It's natural, it's ordinary that this world has a way of clinging to us and sticking to us. You know, Prophet Kerbis always preached it like, you know, the dust clings, the naturalness, the natural sounds. Pastor Charles van der Linde just from just down the road was telling me he once drove on a farm in an orchard. And he said there was a big sign as he approached the orange trees of the orchard. And the sign said this, drive slowly, dust kills. And even farmers know that if the dust settles on the leaves of the orange trees, they can't do the photosynthetic process. Listen, the dustness of this world, if it falls on us, that's why we need to often shake off the dust. That's why we need messages like this just to re- renew our minds and renew to the new. So come on, let's just lift your hand, just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I promise you I'm closing. I just say, Lord, do it, help me. Whatever whatever your prayer is, however you articulated your way, say, Jesus, help me with my mind. Help me to renew to the new. Help me to see the realities of God's word. Help me. Help me, Jesus. Oh, Father. Holy Spirit, teach us this union with the Father. Teach us the reality of this Christ self that is ours. Pray it in the name of Jesus. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Just talk another 30 seconds or so. No, for me, I'm preparing this stuff and I'm reading this, and and I've got to preach it. You know how it just deposits something in my heart, and it becomes my cry, Lord Jesus. I want this true self to be the Christ self. I want to be renewed into your, transformed into your image and your likeness. Lord, this is a lost and dying world. The world is hopeless and helpless right now with the COVID virus. And Lord, here we are. All the truth of your word about us, Jesus, we, we need to see it more manifest around us. Father, in Jesus' name. and I'm too much like John and not enough like Jesus. Lord, I want this John to be a Jesus John. Lord, we're standing here and we just want to be caught up in your wonder and your great grace and then all of this rich truth. Jesus, we give you permission now. Lord, not only this week, but in the weeks to come, just continue to transform, continue to enlighten, continue to give us revelation. Lord, be the one by your spirit who preaches afterwards who declares afterwards who speaks truth afterwards by reminder and by repetition until we get it Lord give you permission Holy Spirit we ask you to do it we ask you to do it 
Lord, there's fresh fillings, there's fresh anointings. So Lord, we're just asking you, just again, just because of the truth that was shared out of your word this morning, we need an endowment of your Holy Spirit fresh this morning to illumine us, to inspire us. Father, we thank you for it in the name of our Lord Jesus. So Father, as your saints depart, I just declare your blessing over them. There's one point that I missed out in this new creation reality is that you are irrevocably blessed and can never be cursed. Never. That was the eighth point. So Father, I declare the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessing that makes rich and leaves no place for regret or sorrow in the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you for it. And all the saints of God said, Amen.